Welcome to Running It Back, the Lessons Learned from Sports podcast. I'm Mike Palmer, joined as always by Tarlin Ray. Tarlin, how are you doing today? So whenever you ask that question, I always feel like I need to share. I'm, I'm an oversharer just with yeah. you and yeah. with all of our fans. This week was interesting. I had my vaccine, my second dose. Please, everyone, if you have an opportunity, yeah. get a vaccine. People Jab. have different opinions, but I, I got mine. Jab them if you got them, is what I it, like to say. It, yes, if you got them. I've probably not the best parenting moment because when you both get the shot at the same time what happens if you get sick that's potus and the the vice president they don't fly on air force one at the same time exactly different bunkers yeah Yeah. same thing so my wife unfortunately 12 hours in she got sick low-grade fever Mm. sweats everything so i was on duty 6 a.m tuesday making helping the couple of kids how do we get them to school etc etc I then broke down around 1 p.m. Mm. in the middle of a meeting mm. where someone as a 90-person Zoom call chatted me, said, perk up. And I said, I'm dying on this call. So it's a real thing. Full body yeah. aches, thought someone was jackhammering in the back of my, in my back, low-grade yeah. fever. I, I go from being but feeling real pain, and, and I can't even imagine anyone who went through COVID and has recovered. So just a lot of empathy, but start with that, decided to be vaccinated. And the other great news is I'm getting my haircut today. Wow. And that may seem like a small thing. And I've thrown no shade at my in-house barber being my wife, who, mm-hmm. who did a dutiful job, but yeah. I'm really excited to go to a professional haircut. Yeah. I never ask you how you're doing, yeah. but I just told you how I'm doing. That's good. That's good. And, and I'm doing well. Weather's coming around. I'm half on my vaccine regimen. I have the other half left. But but yeah, like we say, running it back, jab them if you got them. If you're, if you're thinking about a vaccine, you should do it. But uh, but yeah, man, and spring's upon us. I have a two-year-old. We run around in the park together. It's all good. But we're, we're here to talk about lessons learned from sports, Tarlin. And we're talking about quarterbacks. Black quarterbacks in particular, and with the NFL drafts being days away at this point, we wanted to think about black quarterbacks in the context of the NFL draft, and we'll begin maybe talking quickly about what's going on in the 2021 draft, and then start to run it back across the span of years. Many different quarterbacks we're going to be talking about in different contexts, depending on the draft year. But uh, but it should be an interesting topic. It's uh, and we have we've done a little bit of homework, so we'll probably be hopping around the the back catalog pretty quickly. But any thoughts as we kick it off on this topic? Yeah, I'm pretty disappointed as I think about the drafts coming up and knowing that most players need to take the wonderlick that we didn't wonderlick ourselves. That would yeah. have been fun to share yes. with our um, wonderlick. For most don't know is it's almost like an aptitude test that all athletes prospects take there's a little stink to it because there may be some racial bias and other things but they would lean into the wonderlick test believing that based on your wonderlick especially as a qb it'll help you help determine whether or not you can read defenses especially i believe especially for a qb1 for a qb1 by the way i think ryan fitzpatrick who if you remember in the last show is in the mount rushford of harvard athletes may have one of the highest wonderlicks ever Mm -hmm. and now is a qb1 on another team Mm -hmm. Outside of that, we look at this draft. It always was coming down to Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields. Trevor Lawrence, for those who love, remember the Titans, he is 
Sunshine Reincarnated. Thank you. It's one of my favorite movies of all times. Clemson QB since his freshman year and Justin Fields, three-time starter at the Ohio State because I get confused by the Ohio State in Washington. So always coming one to Justin Fields in 2019, the Ohio State team losing to Clemson in the semifinals by six points. Justin Fields having a redemption story in this year in semifinals, throwing for six touchdowns and crushing Clemson. And so what's interesting is to see how these players who have, you got their game on tape, you can see how they perform, their stats out there, how they've been pulled apart. It's interesting to see who's still standing on top and who's trailing as we come to this draft moment. Yeah. Yeah. And Trevor Lawrence, soon to be head and shoulders spokesperson. That's a prediction here. They're about to fire Troy Polamalu. I I, I (laughs) think they'll they'll add him to, I think Troy's under contract. So I think they'll add Trevor to, to the bit, but uh, he is the white quarterback. He is the quarterback who's understood as the number one uh, pick. And then a lot of the conversation from there shifts to fields when fields isn't even necessarily going to be going second based on uh, a lot of the draft intelligentsia talking about it so far, Zach Wilson likely to be uh, selected second, but the drama here is about Justin Fields uh, versus Trevor Lawrence and which of them has the right level of motivation and work ethic, which is another element of the slights against Justin Fields, who's the black quarterback in this scenario, that maybe he doesn't have the firing belly, maybe he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. And then Trevor Lawrence recently came out to say, and I'll quote him here, I don't have this chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me. And I'm trying to prove everyone wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. So the the predominant consensus number one pick everyone knows he's going to be drafted first by Jacksonville is saying I don't really need to prove anything here I don't don't really need that and then meanwhile his work ethic is not being questioned so much as Justin Fields is an interesting context to put out there if you are looking at this through the lens of race and as we ran it back to the history of black quarterbacks over the years, particularly in the first round of the draft, there's a long history of questioning them in a number of different ways. So it is interesting to see that coming out in this year's draft. And and yeah, so thoughts, where where do we want to go from here? Yeah, just a quick thing on the Trevor Lawrence take. He then thought he was being misinterpreted and said he has a lot of confidence in himself and, and in his work ethic. He then says he loves to grind and that he's internally motivated mm-hmm. and work ethic said it words came out of his mouth, grind immediately. Okay. I think they're like, Oh, I understand what you're saying and got it. You're that guy. Justin Fields has not come out and said that is not getting that pass. He's got Dan Orlovsky who. And I got to look, I should have looked up Orlowski's stats. He's yeah. God awful quarterback, hot garbage. Said that there are guys in the know that are saying he's the last in to the locker room and the first out. Mm. And they're questioning his work ethic. Mm-hmm. 
that another one just looking up articles and granted this can mean subterfuge this this is just what happens in the drafts where people are yeah. trying to position themselves and mm -hmm. say i'm not going to take a player the other thing is that he has no friends since he switched from georgia to come to ohio so he has no friends this is a three-time starter this is a workout this is a guy if you watch the semifinals against clemson this year he almost thought he got into a car wreck. He got hit so hard on his into his ribs and his hip and thought he was out for the game mm -hmm. and yet came back into that game in pain, throwing for six touchdowns and to beat the guy who stood up on a podium and said, I, I don't need to prove anything to anyone. Yeah. So it's just an it's an interesting contrast. And then before we, we run it back, you also then have players. We've talked about this even in the Steph Curry show, players who haven't put up the tape, who may have had one year like a Zach Wilson, who are now head and shoulders above Justin Fields. So just the other thing that people say about Justin Fields is he has accuracy issues. Mm -hmm. And Justin Fields in his 2019 campaign, when the full season was going, he had a 67% uh, completion percentage. Okay. 41 touchdowns three total interceptions, just pretty dominant year. Mm -hmm. This year, let's go back to work ethic and caring. He was on the front lines as a Big Ten player trying to get the league to actually play this year mm -hmm. in a COVID year. Mm -hmm. So he was one of the faces of the Big Ten. Mm -hmm. They only got to play in eight games. Ohio State had to shut down for weeks at a time because yeah. of COVID protocols. And yet, he had 22 touchdowns, six interceptions, and then he upped his completion percentage to 70. Compare that to the guy who now is the number two pick, or supposedly number two pick. 2019, he had 11 touchdowns and nine interceptions and a 62% completion percentage. And this past year, he had a chance to play in more games at BYU. 12 games, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions, and a 73.5% completion percentage. Mm -hmm. All right. It's Okay. Yeah. But how does a guy who put tape out there for three years leading one of the dominant teams in the country get taken down so fast? So, yeah, I just wanted to put a pin. We I look forward to watching drafts, see what happens. But it's crazy to me. And as we run it back, maybe we'll get a chance to understand what's happening today. Yeah, exactly. And and what's interesting about the draft is that particularly around quarterbacks, there's a lot of busts. There's a lot of quarterbacks who come in, are drafted in the first round. There's a lot of hype. Maybe they have a great scouting session or they come from a less competitive conference. So there's less data about them. To your point, maybe they've only played a season or two and somehow they're, they're in the draft for whatever reason. And frequently their scouts are wrong. Frequently the insiders who know what to do in terms of the NFL draft make a lot of mistakes. And particularly around quarterbacks, when we, as we begin to run it back over the years, there are cases where quarterbacks are not drafted high. Famously, Tom Brady was not a high draft pick and is arguably uh, the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. And so it's an example that there's a lot of thinking that goes into the draft process. There's also a lot of both hedging and swinging for the fences that happens as well. So frequently teams will draft players with higher upsides in the hopes that they hit uh, a rock star 
And then the flip side is sometimes, particularly depending on where you are in your franchise's development, you may choose to draft uh, a more steady, safe bet, quote unquote, to insulate against the fact that this quarterback might be a bust. There's a lot of veiled language that then gets connected to that based on whether the quarterback's black or not. And then the history of sorting black players into positions other than the quarterback, particularly wide receiver. There's a lot of history of black quarterbacks who wind up playing wide receiver or wide receivers who could have probably played quarterback, but weren't really given that opportunity And it does make me think of Tom Brady. Tom Brady was either going to be a quarterback, period. Like there was no alternative. He wasn't going to be a wide receiver. Cordell Stewart, uh, who was famous as Slash back in the the 90s, wound up playing a lot of uh, wide receiver and or running back. And there are more athletic quarterbacks. Frequently, black quarterbacks have the ability to play other positions. And then frequently, that was used as a way to keep them from being in the most intellectually complex, shout out to the Wonderlick position is the quarterback, but also the leadership position, the position that's responsible for making decisions on the field. There's a lot of either veiled and or vaguely explicit knocks on black quarterbacks over the years. Most recently, Lamar Jackson, as to whether they should in fact play quarterback or whether they should play another position. So you hit on to one Cordell Stewart. I had totally forgotten about Slash. And thank you for bringing it up and giving me like 37 <laughs> seconds to do some research and try to bring my memory back to 1995. But truly one of the more dominant players in college football out in Colorado. Still one of the great highlights that you'll see if you're watching an NBC or CBS Saturday morning football, the Hail Mary at the end of the game to beat Michigan to Michael Westbrook. I think it was at 64 yards. Mm. But when Cordell came into the draft, he refused to be labeled any other position. He wanted to be drafted as a quarterback, which is why he fell out of the first round. It's interesting, the team that he went to in Pittsburgh, Cower was salivating. He wanted to get him on the field. Cordell at that time was playing be- behind just a some of the most dominant quarterbacks you've ever heard of, Neil Donnell, Mike Tomzak, and Jim Miller. So his fourth round quarterback that he wanted to get on the field, finally Cordell said, I will play any position. And so that's when slash QB, wide receiver, and running back. And that's Coward doing that. What's interesting is Pittsburgh has done that more than any other team. Heinz Ward was originally was a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Antoine Randell L mm-hmm. was a quarterback. So it's interesting to think about Cordell because I think it actually is his perfect analogy is to think about Lamar. And Cordell wanted to be drafted as a quarterback. And so did Lamar Jackson was the Heisman Trophy winner, I think as a sophomore, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Had a junior year, which wasn't as dominant. Louisville. 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 I can never say it, but I'm trying a Louisville, but still was an outsized talent. The challenge with, and we see that's the NBA draft, which you spoke about is there was a prototypical quarterback, six, four statuesque Mm -hmm. scan the field, not very mobile. Mm -hmm. And I got to be able to see over your line. I think it's the mental model of old films of Johnny Unitas. You're thinking 
This, this guy's got to look a little bit like Johnny Unitas. And no, much love to Johnny and his family. I'm not knocking him. It's, but it is, it's a little of a stilted kind of old school because then did Peyton Manning, basically same idea. So what I give to Ozzie Newsom at the time and John Harbaugh, who actually stopped Lamar Jackson's fall in the draft and took him at the end of the first round, yeah. was they drafted the quarterback. He was sitting behind the statuesque Joe Flacco Flacco um, sitting behind Flacco who's running a different offense and what they did when they unleashed Lamar Jackson is they ran an offense that fit his unique skill set and so I think the challenge is you look at a player and I think some of the great coaches will adapt to the individuals they have Mm -hmm. instead of always forcing the talent into the system that they know. Yeah. So Lamar, Lamar is the was the MVP of the league mm-hmm. because they allowed him to be slash 2.0 without playing receiver, but to allow him to use his legs. Yeah. Allow him to use his arm and didn't call him a dual threat quarterback, just called him a quarterback. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it reminds me a little bit of a lesson learned here on the parenting front. It's parent the kid that you have, not the kid that you want. And it's in this context, if you can build your team around someone who has transcendent talent and you have that flexibility and creativity in terms of job design and structure so that your team can still function, but you can really optimize around people's assets and then also be innovative in the mold that they may ultimately fulfill to your point, build the mold around the player rather than have the player try to, to, to fit a mold. And that's really the history uh, of this. As we did go, uh, go back through the years, the one that we probably need to, the granddaddy of them all, I would think would be Doug Williams, which yep. we've talked briefly about in the past, but in 1978 taken with the 17th pick by the Tampa Bay Bucks out of Grambling University. He didn't necessarily have a transcendent career from that point forward until he won the Super Bowl. But the fact that he did win the Super Bowl with the Washington Redskins with a really heroic performance. Also his scouting reports at the time talked about his leadership ability, which is another frequent knock against black quarterbacks that they're not gonna be able to get the locker room behind them. I think Doug Williams, delivered on that leadership uh, piece when they won uh, the Super Bowl. And that did begin to change the game a bit, but it's a very slow progression. If you do look at these uh, first round quarterbacks, black quarterbacks, there's a, there's a pretty lengthy drought from Doug Williams until really the 1990s to begin to get other black quarterbacks drafted at the top of the draft class And in some ways, that's perhaps because there hadn't been an example like Doug Williams who had gone all the way to winning a championship because there is that perception in the NFL that to win the Super Bowl, you're going to need great quarterback play and you're going to need at a minimum leadership from your quarterback. And I think that was the veiled knock against black quarterbacks for 
a very long period of time. In fact, there were some points when it, when it was less veiled. But any thoughts about the lineage here and the history yeah. of this? Like, where would we start? And uh, your thoughts on, on Doug Williams? Yeah, I stopped in the mid 90s, just looking at from 95, basically to now last year of the 63 first round quarterbacks taken 20 were black. I believe that's roughly a third. Well, there's some names like Doug Williams will ever be the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. We have Steve McNair's of the world who, who won MVPs along with Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Vick, who's the first black, first pick quarterback, his first pick in the draft. And then you have some Buss and the EJ Manuels and the um, Achilles Smiths and yep. the Andre Ware, who's probably ran the most dominant, one of the most dominant offenses in Houston back yep. in 1990. Jamarcus Jim- Russell. Oh my God, about Jamarcus Russell. I don't know why. He's on my list right here. I can't remember the name of the grape drink that he loved to drink. I, I think it was he, the pur- purple drink. Uh, purple drink. Yeah. That he couldn't get enough of, which I feel. It was on brand at LSU. An un- outsized talent. Hard to get around some issues mm-hmm. on the outside and mm-hmm. also um, inside. But that's he's not might as well point to Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf is is yeah. Russell. They're a bus and it, it happens. Fascinating to see the number of black quarterbacks. I do think the breaking point potentially was in the 1999 draft where eight of the 13 quarterbacks taken in the draft were black quarterbacks. There were three first rounders taken that year, which has never happened again. Uh, Keely Smith, so the Oregon, who was throwing up numbers pre-Chip Kelly days, throwing up some numbers in Oregon. We had Donovan McNabb from the Cuse. Yeah. We go on to Eagles and get batted around by Eagles fans. Oh, my uh, God. I, I, I'm gonna, we're going to return to McNabb. I, I, I have but, some thoughts, yeah. All right, but Andy Reid. And then Dante Culpepper, who will always be uh, top of my list because as a Vikings fan, we actually threw up some numbers in the for a few years in the Randy Moss days coming out of Central Florida before he tore up his knee. Yeah. So that was an amazing moment for the NFL just because you are willing, more willing to see a black quarterback, and they've often used this t- word as the CEO of the team, and they're willing to lean into that talent. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. And I do think 99 is a really interesting year. Donovan McNabb, just to to pause on him. I think he is the most undercut, gaslit, microaggressed against black quarterback in the entire history. From my perspective, growing up as a a New York Giants fan, so I follow the, uh, the NFC East pretty closely, but just the veiled digs against him throughout his career with the notoriously tough press and an even tougher fan base. Uh, and the Wonderlick score of 15, that it was the same as Jim Kelly. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the fans who famously threw ice balls at, at Santa Claus. The guy showed up to, to welcome the fans at the vet in Philadelphia for a Christmas game. It's very cold. And there was ice, not even snow, yeah, ice balls. And they're pelting the poor dude who's out there as Santa Claus. But, uh, but McNabb continues to get digged, even by you, Tarlin, where he was drafted ahead of Achilles Smith with the second pick. But you talk about the bust ahead of McNabb. And then when he could have won the Super Bowl, he's playing with T.O. So, like, it is a, it's not exactly like it was handed to him. And then he, but also how he managed his media presence 
I think was very different from, say, Dante Culpepper, who also is on the Mount Rushmore of fantasy football quarterbacks. So like he had some stats that won some people some fantasy football chips back in in the in the early 2000s. But but Culpepper to me was more behind the scenes and wasn't really it. There wasn't as much of a bullseye on him. It is interesting to look at these quarterbacks who, who generally made it. There is that notion of weathering that they're going through throughout their careers where they're just having to, you know, the whole concept of get, being gaslit or, or microaggressed against is that they're small things. Maybe you don't really bring them up, but over time they take a toll. And your point about Justin Fields is, is similar where for him to perform at a higher level, there's more resistance that he's going to have to power through to still have the resolve to be truly great. And you contrast that with Trevor Lawrence. This is the, the the whole concept of suffering from affluenza. Like he has no resistance built into his life. He doesn't understand as much the privilege that's been part of him. So maybe does he lack some of the motor? I don't know. But, uh, but I do think there is a level to which the psychological work that needed to be done to break through here for each of these quarterbacks, even to be drafted to begin with, but then to actually have an NFL career, I think is an important thing to note. Two notes on the Donovan, one on Donovan McNabb and then Justin Fields. We can't leave out one small item, which could give pause NFL uh, recruiters, but Donovan McNabb, what, what happened? So I know T.O. is, I mean, he literally is playing on one leg. He's just a dominant Super Bowl. And the Eagles are driving to try to try to win this game. And what it's just curious, Donovan McNabb, I think he threw up in the, in yeah. the huddle. Mm-hmm. It seemed like he was going at half speed with no urgency. So just curious. That's just when he friend of the show. Was it have, his, we just was it his flu game? Was it the other side of a flu game? But then there's a whole story that he went out before, mm-hmm. which is terrible. So, anyways, maybe that was a flu game. Uh, with Justin Fields. We've spent more time talking about the work ethic comment because that is something I'll be bantied about when you talk about black quarterbacks. He does have epilepsy. He's dealt with it his whole life. He's had no issues or episodes while at Ohio State and many of his family members have just grown out of it. So that is a legitimate health risk concern that can come up, but it it pales in comparison to other things that are being talked about. I do think as we talk about black quarterbacks and we like to run it all the way back to just finding the gems, we have to give a shout out to Bernie Custis, mm-hmm. who was the first starting black quarterback. And this is in the CFL. The CFL was a much more open environment, racially friendly. Canadian Football League. There you go. Canadian Football in 1951 mm-hmm. in, in the U.S., and I was going to jump. We, we, we will come to what is the gym that you have, but the other first starting quarterbacks from Marlon Briscoe and, and James Harris and the AFL was a lot more friendly as well. The NFL, surprisingly, under influence of the Redskins owner, George Preston Marshall, was less open to racial diversity. And I'm glad Dan Snyder is carrying on the Redskins uh, name and honor as you continue to harbor some tendencies. And then the CFL continued to have some great uh, quarterbacks, and one being Warren Moon. He mm-hmm. won five Grey Cup championships for? Oh, the Edmonton Eskimos. There you go, for the Edmonton Eskimos. And I actually do believe, if you run it back, Warren Moon was one of the guys. And I know Doug Williams won a championship for the Redskins, where someone could see 
that's the guy that can actually black quarterbacks can lead and sling it and can be the CEO of the team. But you, I, I know I've given a little color around yeah. starting black quarterbacks in the lineage and, and I want to get to 2020, which was a seminal year, but you found it even the sort of a gem of gems. One of the, the first guy who played in the NFL. Yeah. Who was that? That a gentleman by the name of Willie Thrower. So his last name was Thrower. His last name was Thrower. Willie Not Thrower. Runner. Thrower. Thrower. Yes, Thrower. Exactly. Although he was known as Mitts. So if because he had big hands. So if you're known as Mitts, you would think maybe he's a receiver. Yeah, you know, not like, catcher, not Willie Catcher. Not Willie Catcher, but yeah. So yeah, and he was known to toss a football 70 yards. He famously was called into a game for the in the NFL. And here's a quick excerpt from the news of the day. In the 10th minute of the period, Joe Perry fumbled and Dick Hensley recovered on the 49ers 16. Willie Thrower, former Michigan State Negro quarterback, star, making his major league debut, passed to Jim Dooley, putting the ball on the four. George Blanda and Fred Morrison came into the game with a resounding raspberry. They wanted Willie to put it over, but Morrison did it on a blast off tackle. The booze changed to ch- cheers. So uh, that, that, so that yeah. right there, 1953, mm-hmm. was yeah. the first time that a black quarterback played in a game. And that is, you're reading off the news highlights or yes. the editorial from yes. that game. Yes. And, so, and just to be clear, we may have the Willie Thrower story in development as another Running It Back production. So hit us up if you're interested in working on that screenplay with us. Right. Those are, that's called Deep Cuts. There's a subscription to the Deep Cuts and we, we're, we're working on that. So if we cycle from what we're talking about, what's going to happen in the draft, and I'm definitely curious to see what happens in that first round. I like the moments where kids have worked so hard and they get to, it's changing their story arc. So I, I will watch. It's a must-see TV for me. And then we cycle back to sort of those seminal moments, where whether it's 1988 for Doug Williams, 1999, where three of the or eight, three of the three of the first-round quarterbacks are black. 2001 with Michael Vick, and then you start to even outside of Doug Williams, you have black quarterbacks winning Super Bowl and Russell Wilson. 2014 Patrick Mahomes in 2020 mm-hmm. get to a major moment in 2020 at the start of last year's campaign where you had 10 black quarterbacks and it is the Dak Prescott's who of course was ended up injured Patrick Mahomes Russell Wilson Lamar Jackson Kyler Murray Tarot Taylor who Oof. famously was injured when Someone paid off the doctor to puncture his lungs so Justin Abair could take over and be a fantasy stud. Cam Newton, who played for your Patriots. Not mine either. And was massively ineffective, but still a starter. Dwayne Haskins, who was waived because midseason in a mm-hmm. COVID era, he threw a party where there might have been women wearing his jersey in what was not a socially distanced way. <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater who was in and out, was a little effective, two gloves. He may, he, I, he may be headed to Denver. We'll see where he winds up, but he's still trying. He'll still get a career together. And, and yeah. I still have some, will always, as a former Viking draft pick, have a little love for him. Yeah. And Deshaun Watson, who was very effective, but who knows if 
he'll ever yeah. play again. But 10 quarterbacks, did you do the math yet? Uh, that's a good, good chunk. 10 to 32. It's pretty uh, close to the healthy portion. third, close to the third. Okay. Roughly a third. So the times are changing. And what you're seeing is coaches adapting as well. The game is changing, understanding how effective you can be when your quarterback is multidimensional, mm-hmm. can read the field, mm-hmm. can make all the throws. And we hope to see, for me, a continued openness to the person who is considered your CEO, the person who's supposed to lead the team, a person who may not, I know he's the GOAT, may not be on the sidelines screaming at his assistant coach Mm -hmm. and screaming at his team and saying, look at that leadership, where if that happens for a black quarterback that it's seen the same way. So I, I do think there's progress. I'm curious as to the Justin's field moment because it's a moment to see whether or not you're taking a step back or taking a step forward yeah as uh terrell owens famously said that's my quarterback (laughs) so there is an element to which everything revolves around that role and you can't help but analogize to how hiring practices can and should evolve we we talked about the Rooney rule and head coaches and similar biases even more deeply entrenched biases, I I would argue, around head coaching positions and even more so as you go up the chain into leadership positions and particularly ownership of NFL teams. It is something to continue to to look at because I think it it is a place where it's it's so visible that we can't help but think about what it signals in terms of how we're supposed to run a workplace and how we're supposed to think about giving people hiring opportunities. So I think there's a lot to draw from in terms of lessons learned and analogies. I'd like to conclude at my end of the conversation with one black quarterback known as Byron Lefwich, who was drafted seventh in 2003 by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And he had a good, but not great NFL career. He had some good seasons, never really got Jacksonville where they needed to get to uh, in terms of winning in the playoffs really. Playoffs? Playoffs? Playoffs. But then most recently was highly regarded by Bruce Arians as his offensive coordinator and someone who worked very closely with Tom Brady when he came back, came down to to Tampa Bay and, and then led that offense with obviously Brady's help, but was able to design something that that really won them the Super Bowl. And now he's still seeking out that head coaching position. But I do think the quarterback will likely open up first so that folks uh, like Byron Leftwich will have the opportunity to rise in the ranks as a head coach, hopefully, assuming that's something he's pursuing. And, and I think there's a lot for us to draw from there as we think about, particularly if you're someone who has the, the ability to hire folks or think about seeking difference, helping folks who maybe traditionally haven't had an, an opportunity, and then also per- potentially rethinking what leadership roles look like to build around the talent that you have, rather than maybe your old uh, mental model of who's supposed to be in that position. So I thought that was a good lesson learned for me. And I wanted to make sure Byron left, which friend of the show, at least on this end, we'd love to have you on Byron. He's my friend. I just haven't told you. I know. Oh, excellent. But but I, I will never, I'll say this. I 
wish we weren't recording. I'm really impressed with that, that pull. I'm really impressed with that lessons learned. I think out of all the deep research to point to Byron Lefwich, who was the CEO of the players in a way, because he's leading that team. And then to have a chance to rise, to be basically the second command to be a CEO of a team, mm -hmm. he will be along breaking that ceiling and what the model is. Kudos to you for that lessons learned. I'm excited to continue the conversation to your point, not only the ways you look at sports, but the ways you look just at hiring folks in general, the way that you assess people and the way that you understand how to, as you talked about, the right people being the right seat on the bus and allowing them to really thrive. Here's to Justin's Fields not falling deep in the draft. Look at the tape. Yeah. He should be a top five pick. Don't snooze on uh, Trey Lance either. North Dakota State represented. But last thought, you're going to bring it home right here. You said Culpepper had the greatest fantasy, one of the greatest fantasy players. My, I still remember my buddy's team was called Moss Pepper because he drafted Culpepper and Moss back to back and he literally was dominating. But don't forget Michael Vick. He was just a stud. And I can't leave without saying and giving a shout out to one of the guys in the early days when there was very few black quarterbacks in Randall Cunningham who survived the Eagles and then put up some of the most dominant team numbers in 1998 for the Vikings. So shout out to the history of all yeah. black quarterbacks who helped get the league to where it is in 2020 and beyond. And thank you. It's always fun to run it back. Yeah. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what, what you heard. Let us know what you think. There's plenty more stories to tell in these lists that we've been looking at, whether it's Willie Thrower or Cordell Stewart or plenty of the, the, the more rising talent now, if you think about what Patrick Mahomes in particular may wind up being remembered as. It's some really interesting conversations to have on this topic. Let us know where you want us to go with this, because I think we're going to continue to to dig into the stories of some of these quarterbacks, potentially going into some of them like Mike Vick with some more depth. But if you like what you're hearing, tell a friend, subscribe, do all the good things. Follow us at Running It Back FM on Twitter. We'll be back again soon. This is Running It Back. Yeah.